The reading is from Ephesians verses 1 to 6. Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Oh. <laughs> Overwhelmed by technology, but I'm very glad for the foldback. Thank you. It's just so good to be here. We are enjoying ourselves so much already. It's been so exciting to see so many old friends and to meet so many of the, the new people that God is bringing to St. Barnabas. Uh, humanly speaking, if you want to blame anyone, the man uh, responsible is here today. Uh, Jonathan Harris is at the back there. He was church warden of St. Barnabas uh, and interviewed me back in 1985 uh, to see whether he would risk um, letting loose me with, with that fellowship. And he took the gamble, praise God, and God has honoured the gamble and him and us. And also I just noticed that Rosemary Harrison here, who was part of the original uh, St. Barnabas congregation who welcomed us and who put up with us. I remember asking one of them um, how they were surviving. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, the, the guitars and everything. And she said, oh, you mean the instruments of torture? <laughs> but those, those wonderful people put up with us, embraced what God was doing, and... Uh, rejoiced with us and uh, it's just, just lovely and it's, it's just so exciting, so thrilling to hear that call to worship in so many different languages. So I've already been moved to tears before I even started speaking. Normally it's my speaking that does that. So, uh, that was a bit powerful. I, we're reminded um, of Jesus saying about the temple, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And it's just so great. So it's a bit like heaven, quite honestly. I hope you slept well. I, um, I, I, I think I slept well. I wasn't sure whether it was a dream or reality. I, I, I met this person who will remain nameless, and um, I, I said to her, after we talked a bit, I said, isn't, isn't this heaven? And she said, no, John, it's the De Vere Hotel and I'm, st <laughs> and I'm still looking for my room. <laughs> um, oh, 
I was just about to preach an old sermon on 1 Thessalonians. So. Uh, I was thrilled to be asked uh, to speak at the weekend. However, uh, I learned quite a bit about your new vicar very quickly. I suppose he's not so new any longer, but when I met him, he was quite new and we were talking about this. I explained to him how overall I appreciated a, a general steer on what to say rather than be given completely free reign. Um, and uh, the next thing I knew was I got an email uh, telling me, it, not only did he want me to speak on Ephesians 4, but dividing it up into three sections and telling me exactly what I needed to say at each one. <laughs> so um, anything that you don't like here is because Andy's told me what to say. And anything you do like is what I've added as, as well. He is clearly a man who knows what he wants. Well, so was the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this, this wonderful jewel of a, a, a letter uh, to the Ephesian church. Uh, he'd spent considerable time there in that great city uh, of Ephesus, uh, a major city in uh, the Roman province of Asia, and uh, there's a map on your notes. The notes are there meant to help you uh, so that you know how much longer you've got to go. And if you fall asleep, you know how much you've missed. Uh, and those who like visuals, there's also a bit of that coming up behind. And Ephesus is still um, a tremendous place to visit. If, you, if you've been there, it's uh, the remainders of the great city, still ruins now, uh, remain and are very striking. Uh, this is a picture of the uh, next slide of the great uh, roadway, which used to lead down to the sea. The sea has withdrawn uh, with the passage of time. And then the next picture is the arena, which gives you a sense of the huge size of, of the city. You can read all about how the church was started in Acts 19 and 20, and we read there that Paul hired the hall of Tyrannus, and he did so for two years. He got it cheap because uh, it was the siesta time from 12 to 3 when uh, no one was meant to be awake, and so the rates were reasonable. Uh, but for two years, he taught the gospel there, argued from the scriptures about Jesus the Lord, who had come from heaven, died and risen again. That's 1,800 hours. Well, we haven't got quite that long um, uh, this weekend, so um, let's get on with it. Um, Paul's come to the end of his life, and the letter of Ephesians is, is a very mature, magnificent combination of wonderful doctrine and practical living. That's what makes it so good. Barclay called it the queen of epistles. It was John Calvin's favorite epistle. So it must be good. Um, by and large, the first three chapters unpack the theology, just how amazing our God is. And then the last three work out the practice. Of course, it's not nearly as neat as that because the two intertwine. Um, doctrine and behavior are meant to go together. 
the one leads to the other and the other builds the first. So let's launch into chapter four and these first six verses. Let me just pray again as we start. Lord, I do thank you for these wonderful truths that we're going to be looking at. And thank you for being here, for bringing us here, and that you want to speak to every single one of us, as well as together as a community. And, and I just pray now that you would speak and that we would hear for Jesus' sake. Amen. So for three chapters, Paul has um, tried to help the Christians in Ephesus and now us to see that God is even more special than we thought at first. God has an eternal purpose throughout history and that is taking people who have nothing in common, people from every kind of background, every kind of culture, every kind of language as we're uh, experiencing, people who in certain circumstances would naturally hate each other and reject each other, and through Jesus Christ and what he's done, creating a new people, a new society, with new relationships, which he and we call the church. And now Paul moves on from exposition to exhortation, from what God has done to what we must do in response. And so the apostle starts, of course, with the church, which is God's means for reaching a lost world. Isn't that extraordinary? He's done his bit. He came as Jesus and died for us. No one else could do that. But now he says, it's you. It's over to you. You are my plan for the salvation of the world. You are God's plan for the salvation of people that you know. There is no other plan. There's no plan B. He's done his part. We must do our part. And the church is a growing body. We've already Stress that. That means it's alive. Bodies that are alive grow, sometimes in unfortunate places, but let's not worry about that. Only dead objects don't change and grow. And we at St. Barnabas are an example of change and, and growth, and it is wonderful to behold. The growth of the body will be fine if we are relating rightly to our head, Jesus. But there are always also dangers in growth, especially when fallen human beings like you and me are put together, even though we're saved by grace. And Paul encourages us to say healthy. How does he do that? Well, he begins with... Um, an exhortation that might be summed up as this, hold to the fact of unity. And look at verses four to six. Um, it's impossible to read these verses without being struck by one particular word. There is one body 
and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Even the most casual of readers must notice the repetition of the word one. It actually appears seven times in these three verses. I guess there had been a tendency in Ephesus to divide off. The church had grown over the years and there was understandable loyalty to different people and to different groups, different home groups, different leaders. And with that comes the danger of division. And Paul says, don't be silly. You are one because God is one. One of um, our family heirlooms is a note handwritten by Albert Einstein who um, had been invited to speak at the um, Oxford Union. My father was president of the Union at the time and after a very good meal before the, the talk, um, as was the practice in those days, uh, my father, among others, lit a cigar. And Einstein noticed this and wrote a little note saying, please may I have one? And uh, my father very wisely kept the note and wrote on a different piece of napkin, I only have one, and you of all people will understand the significance of that. Well, he claims to have written that. We have no proof uh, of that. It was very clever if he did. But as Christians, we should celebrate always the significance of God being one. And instead, sadly, we have so often split down the years so that there are thousands of denominations. What a picture to hold up to the world. Not surprisingly, rather than saying, see how these Christians love one another, they must say, see how these Christians dislike one another. We need to relearn and recommit to the fact of unity. And the best place to start that is in the local church, building that up, being committed to that. This isn't just a, a theme of Ephesus. This is throughout the New Testament. It's the thrust of Jesus' last prayer, John 17. The contentious Corinthians were urged to break down divisions and foster unity. The Galatians were encouraged to be one in Christ. The Philippians were commanded to stand as one in the faith of the gospel. Indeed, the church of Jesus Christ is only truly credible when it stands united before a fragmented world. We can't change church history, but we can seek to model a local church community that is committed to the one God and to each other. And that's what we need to do. I still remember um, when John Wimber 
uh, was visiting uh, London many years ago in the 80s. There was great excitement. Um, he actually came to St. Barnabas once. Um, someone was, Rupert Charkin was preaching on healing and looked out and there was Wimber in the audience. Great man. But uh, he was coming under considerable attack. And some of us young Turks met with him um, over breakfast and were urging him to stand up and denounce uh, these other Christians, so-called, who were undermining his work and ministry. And he listened patiently, and I remember it still. He put his head on one side, which he often did when he was going to say something. And having heard us all, he said, my brother is my brother is my brother, and I will not speak badly of them. And that was a lesson for me. Of course, unity does not mean uniformity. There are a huge variety of different ways of worship and prayer and baptizing people, and goodness knows what else. Praise God for variety, and we'll come on to see that. But there is this commitment to being one with the one God. That does not mean that unity is holding together opposite views on fundamentals. And this is another area where the church can get it wrong. So, for example, the, f the fact of unity depends on the one faith, verse 5. In other words, the faith that unifies has its boundaries. Let's take an obvious example, the divinity of Christ. Christians owe allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord. Early Christians were martyred because they refused to say Caesar is Lord, only Jesus is Lord. And so it seems to me there can be no unity with those who deny the divinity of Christ. In Paul's day, there were many who argued for the need for circumcision, as well as acknowledging the lordship of, of Christ, out of respect for the Old Testament but the apostle says that's to undermine the very basis of Jesus' once and for all sacrifice, which did away with all that outward sign stuff, did away with all sin. And he actually castigates those who were arguing that view. He doesn't try and find good disagreement with them. He calls them dogs, Philippians 3 verse 2. And in Galatians 5, verse 12, he goes even further and wishes that those troublemakers would mutilate themselves. So there are certainly limits uh, to unity. The unity is on the faith. What we need to do is be sure of the primary issues and hand, hold firmly to those while allowing as much inclusivity as possible on the secondary issue. So worship styles, views on women's ordination, charismatic gifts are, are secondary. 
seems to me perfectly possible from the Bible to argue different ways. But there are primary issues like the divinity of Jesus and like the authority of Scripture. And today, I suppose, there is a great divide within the church between those who hold to the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage and those who don't. And society obviously leans very clearly in one direction. And as ever, part of the church is conforming. But I would say this is a primary issue because it questions the authority of the Bible, God's view of marriage clearly expressed in the first chapters of the Bible. But amongst Bible-believing Christians, let's not be robbed of our unity. I go to both Pro Proclamation Trust gatherings and to New Wine events because both are valuable. Both, I recognize, people seeking to submit to the Lordship of Christ and walk in His ways. And I refuse to be disenfranchised by either. Word and Spirit go together. They are the train tracks of church history. And look at church history. Wherever we've come off one rail or the other, things have gone wrong. We need both. And there's no difficulty between that because the one wrote the other. I am a charismatic, I say, because I take the Bible seriously. I cannot read the Scriptures and not come to that conclusion. So let's learn from each other and from all who share the faith. None of us has a monopoly on the truth. Uh, still one of the best books on this Commitment to unity and yet drawing the boundaries is this book, uh, A Personal Plea for Unity by John Stott, um, but called Evangelical Truth. It's not a, an easy read. Uh, it's quite scholarly. But if you want to get to grips with the issues of what's primary and what's secondary, I think this does it. I think there's some copies uh, in the bookstall uh, at the back. We can learn from each other within the local body. We can learn from our differences, our different experiences and different backgrounds. That's what's so wonderful about a church like this. Such variety. But we can also um, learn from the worldwide church of faith. The one church of uh, Bible-believing spirit-filled Christians. So you cannot visit Africa without being struck by the joy of the church, even in poverty. You can't go to the church in Korea without being astonished by their commitment to prayer. No wonder God is using them to spread the gospel all over the world. You cannot meet Christians in the Middle East without being challenged by their commitment in the face of persecution. We belong to one church, one worldwide church of Jesus Christ. And we need, as well as the local body 
and enjoying the variety of richness here to be aware of, informed of, the global church. So good to hear of St. Barnabas's commitment to mission and concern for growth and reaching different cultures and, and backgrounds and this exciting venture with the uh, French-speaking congregation coming up. Um, be informed. Um, I find a, a book like this really helpful as far as uh, the world is concerned. Operation World, it's called. I didn't ask for these on the bookstall. They're too heavy and not cheap. Uh, but every country in the world is here with some details about the population uh, and the Christian context. And this will inform your prayers for unity and build up your unity with the worldwide church wonderfully. That was a good bang. There was an extraordinary stage. You know how you pick up strange practices. One day uh, at, at Barnabas, um, before the carpet was laid down, during a ministry time, somebody dropped a Bible and there was a resounding bang and all sorts of wonderful things started happening. And in no time at all, the practice was adopted. Uh, in a few weeks, everybody was dropping Bibles as the, inviting the Holy Spirit. I had to step in and say it wasn't quite necessary. <laughs> so the fact of unity and the faith of unity that we share has got to lead to action on our part as individuals living out the life of unity. Oh, we should have moved on through two. Oh, you've been missing out. Well done. The, the life of unity, verses 1 to 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So we move to concrete implication, to real everyday application. Paul actually starts with this because of course right behavior also builds unity. It's a virtuous circle, if you like. Living the Jesus way will increase our love for him. And our love for him will make us want to follow him all the more and commit ourselves to love one another and to maintain the unity. And so it goes on. Our part is to, to live this life worthy of our calling. And, and Paul portrays that in five qualities, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. Humility was much despised in the ancient world. Not till Jesus came was true humility recognized. It's essential to unity. Pride lurks behind almost every discord. Gentleness is powerful. Gentleness is the strength of the strong 
whose strength is under control. The absence of insistence on personal rights. Patience is long-suffering towards aggravating people. I'm sure there are one or two still at St. Barnabas. Remember how God showed long-suffering towards you whilst you were aggravating him. Bearing with one another speaks of, of the mutual tolerance without which no group of humans can live together in peace. And love is that final quality which embraces the other, is the crown and the sum holds them all together, agape love. This is not a matter of feeling. This is not gooey, sentimental love. It's not any other kind of love. It is a matter of will. It is a decision. I am going to love the body of Christ because I belong. These are the foundation stones of Christian unity. Where they're absent, you know, no external structure, no leader, however gifted he or she is, can keep things together. That's why it's so important, as well as the local church, to belong to a small group. That that's where you can work these things out. That's where you rub up against reality of different kinds of people. That's where you can model care, concern, accountability, patience, and all these other things that we've been looking at. So don't miss out. Get involved in the hubs that are, are going to be launched. Such an important element. As the cell is to the body, so the hub, the small group, is to the body of the church. Utterly vital. We must make every effort. That's our part. But even there, praise God, it's not all up to us. Because he's given us his Holy Spirit. More of him later as we go on to the gifts that he brings in the next verses. But you're probably in need of a caffeine break shortly. And um, we're going to just stop now. I'm going to pray. And then we're gonna, if you divide up into just groups here of three or four, there's some questions uh, on the sheet. You probably haven't got uh, time to answer all of them, but it would be good to at least grapple with the first two and maybe one other. Um, and then you deserve uh, your break. And we'll just move into that uh, as and when you've had enough. Is that at the back? Um, and then we're back here at half, half past. Let me just pray. Father, we are, are so grateful for the church. Thank you that you have not just saved us, but given us a body to belong to and a life to live. Thank you that because we are now one of your children, we have countless brothers and sisters here 
at St. Barnabas and across the world. Help us in our own way to live lives worthy of our calling and to stand for the one true faith. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.